In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Good afternoon, welcome. Assalamu alaikum and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Friday Drive Time Show with myself, Kayum, and as always, joining me, my comrade, my brother in arms, Brother Daniel. Good afternoon, peace be on you, brother. Good afternoon, brother. Yes, as always, Daniel Zahab, but not as always, uh, Brother Kayum. So, very good to have <laughs> Brother Kayum today. <laughs> it is kind of you to have me. It is kind of you. But yes, um, I was in Germany attending the annual convention and uh, you know took some time for recovering from it it's, sure. a, it's a long drive yeah, yeah I but can imagine. Uh, yes. what a fantastic uh, event that was but i'm sure um, everyone has spoken about right uh, the conventions <clears throat> over the past few weeks let's get on to the topics Indeed. of the afternoon in the first hour uh, in the first hour we're going to be talking about modesty what it means and uh, the reason we're going to be talking about this is because as you must have seen in the news that the top french court has ruled that it is perfectly okay to ban the abaya and kameez also a long loose fitting garment worn by some muslim men and this is specifically in schools claiming that the attire broke the rules on secularism in education now i know brother daniel you're an expert in secularism Oh, is that so? I actually right. heard okay. you on you know joking side. I've actually heard you speak about secularism okay. and Islam before, um, and so I will be Thank coming you. to you. I will be coming to you sure. um, to kind of, to be honest, bring some reality into this mm. into this context of what true secularism really is. Right, because the mainstream media seems to be um, using this word mm. without realizing. Well, hold on. What actually France is practicing is not secularism. Yeah. Is far right populism exactly that, and and I'm so glad that you actually said that. And it's actually not just in the West, by the way. It's also mm-hmm. in the East that this word has been exploited a lot uh, to again for political ambitions, um, to achieve political gains, and to have a certain class, a, a kind of class and clergy mm-hmm. um, to rule in politics. So they have used it in a in a very different way. They where they say that secularism is actually uh, all is un-Islamic. So that's a that, you know so it's how you know, bizarre that's, how bizarre exactly it so, so we we think both extremes should there. actually know Islam these yeah. are people who practice Islam yeah yet you don't know yet they don't know that it's a definition <laughs> it is a massive confusion and since you since you've got me started in this topic please, please. Um, this is a massive confusion unfortunately in the Muslim world which um, if I can say which actually the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has solved. Um, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed uh, of Qadian, he has spoken about it. The, his, his successors have spoken repeatedly about it. The, what they don't understand is that Islam is not secular. Islam's polity is secular. The polity, the political system that yeah. Islam espouses for a second, and what does secularism mean? Secularism doesn't mean that you become that you become an atheist. Or you become an agnostic. Hmm. Secularism only means that, for the purposes of um, the governance, or the purposes of the government of a particular country, uh, they, the government will not have any preference for any religion. That's all secularism means. Hmm. So, in any country, anyone could have a right to a public office. A Christian could become a head of state in a Muslim country. Um, a, a Hindu can become um, a practicing Hindu can become a head of state uh, in a country like United Kingdom and has. So uh, 
so that is what true secularism is, and that is what Islam espouses for. Unfortunately, again, the mullahs on on the right in in the east, and also the far right extremists in the west, have taken this to mean something very different from what it is, and and all because of political agendas. Now, I mean, before we came on air, this has been going on in France for some time now, yeah, hasn't it? Correct. Please enlighten us. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess the biggest. The question is, why is, so in 2004, there's a 2004 law stipulating that religious symbols cannot be worn as they contradict fr- French values of sec- secularism. And that's in public or in schools? So so this particular law that I'm talking about mm-hmm. is, is about uh, is about school. Okay. But the, why, the question is, why is the French government trying so hard to consistently attack Muslim women above all groups? And the question that I have in my mind is, okay, why this obsession hmm. with with Muslim women in the garb of secularism? I mean, let's talk about educational institution. If somebody wants to dress in a particular way, again, you know, can I not say that? Is it, is it not against the democratic values of liberty to be able to dress in the manner that you like? Hmm. What is wrong with dressing modestly? It's anti, it's it's uh, well, it's it's um, there's no there's no answer to that, is there? Really, exactly. In, in that, reality, yeah, there's no answer to that. But yeah, seeing that you mentioned that, where's all the Me Too movement? Where's the feminist movement? Isn't that all about the rights of women to do what they want to do or have the freedom to do what they want? Yeah. Why no, it, why why no, have they suddenly it, gone silent? It's it's only freedom to take off your clothes. Yeah. It's not freedom to to take on clothes, to wear clothes. Mm-hmm. That that's the that's what the feminism, modern feminism is all about. Absolute madness. And why Islam? You know, they always talk about yeah. how supposedly Islam oppresses women. Hmm. What, who's oppressing now? Who's yeah. oppressing women now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like you're, f- you're forcing somebody yes. to 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 go against their principles. Yes. Um, and and in the same age, by the way, that we say that you can actually declare yourself to be of a different gender than the one that you were born in. So you have that freedom on, on one extent. That, if you think it. Yeah, exactly. If you think it, yeah. you're it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and that's fine. So on, on one hand, you have this, you know, this, this philosophy and this liberty and you think that that's the fundamental right of every citizen. And on the other, you say, no, 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 sorry, you, you, you can't wear this. Sorry, that's not allowed. Let's go to our first guest of the afternoon. We have with us uh, Iman Heather, um, an Ahmadi Muslim, uh, born and raised in France. And I'm sure um, our guest will be able to shed some more uh, substantial light on, on this topic. Brother Heather? Okay. Um, good afternoon. Welcome. Salam and Peace be on you. Um, Iman, please uh, tell us uh, what are the sentiments, um, your sentiments, the sentiments of Muslims in France, um, seeing that you're born and bred French, um, yeah. and I'm sure you, you, you know, you, you should say you are French. You feel French. I mean, that's yes, I that's your nationality. That's who you are. Exactly. Yeah. So. What's your sentiments to, to, to you know, um, with with what's been happening over the years? And brother, as I said, I'm sorry, brother Daniel earlier said, you know, since 2004, this law has been yeah. um, passed. So that's coming on, you know, nearly 20 odd years. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Like you said, exactly. I was born and raised in France, and I grew up with French people, and I discovered with time how Muslims were perceived in French society. Uh, everyone can see that there is a constant kind of obsession with Islam being visible. And I think like with time, it went crescendo, you know. Uh, it first started with the ban of wearing visible religious symbol is to work for the state. And then, like you said, there was the law of uh, 2004, which this time prohibited students from showing visible signs of religion affiliation, such as the kippah and the hijab, obviously. And it means that in schools, in middle schools and high schools, you can't wear the hijab at all, but you can wear it in the streets and in university. And then they, they banned the burqa in 20 uh, in 2010, then the Burkini, they also questioned whether or not mothers should uh, wear the hijab, you know, mothers who wear the hijab should be allowed to join their children uh, during uh, scholar outings. So, so yes, it, it, it's difficult. You know, when, uh, when, as I grew up, I noticed that non-Muslim French people themselves, you know, the, the French people, uh, they, they know that it's just distraction to avoid talking about real political French problems and economic problems, uh, even if there can be tensions because of what we see in the media, uh, what image, image they depict uh, in media. In everyday life, at least the people that I've met, I think French people are very curious about Islam and very respectful in their discussion with us. They, they, even if they don't agree with you, are really respectful and interested in what you have to say. So it gives hope, and and I think it's important to dissociate on one hand what the media and the government is saying and depicting, and on the other hand what French people um, want and are actually. It's interesting you say that people are sympathetic. Um, so the you know one begs to question the the reason why or, or for what purpose the French government is going after Muslim women. Um, I mean, it seems that they they are fueling the fire uh, of demonizing Islam. What what's the purpose from a, from a French point of view of doing all this? I think I think many French people would say that it's just a distraction. Like it it just. Uh, they, it's like a scapegoat, like they, they just want to, to, to put more light on this topic to, to avoid talking about real problems like, you know, the pension reform yeah. that you, you saw, actually you, you heard about it. The yellow jackets. Also, sorry? The yellow jackets. Yes, exactly. They went in the streets, they protested against this law and it happens to took effect like uh, in uh, the beginning of September, at the same time as the controversy at Ab- uh, on Abaya, you know, mm-hmm. it just it was just uh, four five days ago. So I just think it's a distraction. It, it's a mm-hmm. second. I don't know how to say it in English, but I think it's a second plan matter. It's, it's not a, a main um, problem. The Abaya and the Islam in, in France. In France. Almost sounds like just uh, the problems uh, Emily's have in, in in many countries because yeah. in 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 some countries uh, they are used as a as a political distraction, uh, yeah. especially when elections are near. Um, right. So you you've you're obviously a, a French and and you've been through the French school system. Yeah. Um, how did or did wearing religious clothing ever 
impact your studies? Uh, we we were not like I said I, we were not allowed to wear hijab at school. So you there there, is, there are three options if you are French Muslim woman in France whether you decide to 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 study at home or you are you are going to a private Muslim school or you can choose to wear the hijab on the way to school. Like I used to 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 do it like for 15 minutes to go to high school and then at the entrance you remove your hijab and then you go to school, you know, and when you go out back home, you put your hijab back on. And the most common thing that uh, Muslim women do. And honestly, I have to say, it, it creates uh, a sensation of confusion, you know, and, and frustration to, to, to remove it at the entrance mm -hmm. and to, to, you know, everyone know that you're wearing a hijab. It, 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 it's, so, it's so confusing. And I know it's a, a shared sentiments uh, uh, among other hijabis but at the same time if we can find a good side to it uh, I think it allows us to deeply question whether or not we want to, to wear the hijab and why the reasons we want to, to, to wear it and whether or not we are ready to wear it wear it, and face you know the, the difficulties that comes with it in, in France at, at school and it, even after uh, with work so it really, I think it really tests your your whole person, your strength on the long term. It's not something easy to do. It, it, so it has more worth to it, and you're more strong about it in your uh, in your feelings. And even if sometimes it's difficult, and some people are tempted to to remove it because it's easier, it's, because you face so many obstacles with it. It gave us the opportunity to, to test our sincerity uh, in our faith each day and at school. And, and, and yes. Um, I know we're talking about the Abaya, but I was uh, looking at the Al Jazeera, uh, the news agency website, um, going back about five, six days. And they've reported that uh, a schoolgirl in the French city in Lyon, um, a student has been sent home who was wearing a kimono which is a traditional Japanese garment. Oh, yeah. um, so, it's, <laughs> and, it's and, and, this, and this student was wearing jeans, shirt, and they wore the kimono as an as a outer garment. Mm. Yeah. So, they, they, they are actually willing to go to ridiculous lengths yeah, to try to prove a ridiculous point, aren't they? Yes, yeah, they... they they, they are bringing confusion in people's head, and I think it's, it's, it's giving more work on the teaching staff, you know. They have to determine whether or not the, an outfit is Islamic or not, you know. It's, 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 uh, it's nonsense. Really, really Excellent point, Brother Kumin. And can I just add that, you know, this almost reminds me of the blasphemy law in, in Pakistan. That's right, yes. Which was actually targeted uh, towards Ahmadis. That's, that's why it was enacted in the first place. But then, but now, as we see, there are actually a lot more Muslims who <laughs> and Christians, actually, who have been uh, booked under the law than, than Ahmadis. So, I mean, whenever you have these, you know, ridiculous laws, unfortunately, they always come and bite you. Uh, yeah. from, from where you never thought they would. You know, this this reminds me of an interview I did going back three to four years. Again, it just shows how much this topic has been in the headlines. This was on Breakfast Show. I, I was talking to a young medical student from the Amdi Muslim Student Association, and, and she said something right at the end, which summed it up. And I think this is a quote. You should put it on your T-shirt and walk around in France with it. Yeah. That hijab covers my head, not my brain. 
Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> Lovely. But, you know, the, the question comes to mind. They are trying to ban clothing. Yeah. Now, Muslim women, Muslim ladies are very astute, very uh, intelligent. Surely they can come up with uh, alternatives um, within the Western clothing that they have not banned, like the shawl, like the poncho, like, you know, I was... I was yes, there are so many There options. are so many different options. How far will they go with this ban? I don't know. You know, you know, I saw pictures of the first lady, Brigitte Macron. Do, do you know her, Brigitte Macron? Yes. She was wearing a, a long dress and high neck and long sleeve dress, like any Muslim woman could have worn, you know. So it, it just shows that it depends on the person wearing it. If it was a Muslim woman who had worn the exact same dress, it would have been associated with religion, you know. So it's, 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 it's so... Weird and upset. You know, it, it, it also reminds me of uh, the late Queen of uh, of United Kingdom, um, who uh, used to wear the headscarf sometimes. Mm. Uh, mm, perhaps yeah. she would have been banned <laughs> in yeah. educational institution in in France yeah. uh, had she gone there wearing a uh, wearing a scarf. Um, fi- finally, Iman, we started off the conversation with you being a French national. France is home. It's not just any any other country we're talking about. How worried are you that and, and that that where will where will they take this? To what extremes will they take this? I have to say, uh, I have to admit, I'm a bit afraid uh, of the future and what they will buy next because I think it's very dangerous. It, it's beginning to nourish anger among people and resentment against the French nation, you know, whereas they should uh, nourish love for, for, for our country. And lots of people are, yes, nourishing uh, a lot of anger against France. So I think it's very dangerous. Uh, it it encourages some people to defy laws and, and become more extreme. So it's it's not, it doesn't make any sense. It's very sad. But at the same time, like I told you, uh, I've met lots of French people, and lots of French, lots of French people are very open-minded and open to discussion, and they're very curious and respectful. And I think, I think with time, the something will change, and it will be better, inshallah. I hope. God so. willing. God willing. Iman Heather, thank you so much for taking time Allah, out and coming you. on to the Drive Time Show. May Allah bless you. May Allah, may Allah take away your fears. Um, and and, and, uh, and uh, may God enable the French government to see sense. Um, I wish you a fantastic evening ahead and a fantastic weekend. May God be with you. Thank you so much. And before we go on to our next guest, I'd like to um, read out an excerpt from... Um, uh, as, um, an address given by His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, the current head of the Ahmadi Muslim community. This was at the mm, two, 2010 uh, Peace Symposium here in London. And he said, and I quote, Over the past few years, the hijab or veil has been made an issue in Europe. Following on from France, politicians in other European countries and for their own political motives, are issuing statements supporting a ban, and this is becoming a means of injuring the sentiments of Muslims. Whenever I have reflected on this matter, I have never been able to understand what the problem with the whale is, that it has become such a threat to governments. Is it such a heinous crime to wear a coat 
and cover one's head and chin with a piece of cloth, that an entire parliament should sit to pass a law against it? Should legislation be passed against Christians and Jewish ladies who also adopt religious attire? If bans are imposed against the Muslims, then Muslim countries may impose restrictions on some form of Western dress in response. This issue has the potential to snowball and it will affect the peace of the world." Unquote. We are running a uh, question on our Instagram story as well about this topic. Is France right to ban the abaya in schools? And up to now, 3% have said yes, 97% have said no. I think it's an overwhelming um, beginning to um, uh, a question which should be ridiculous in the times that we are living. But it's not. It is happening. It is real. That governments are interfering mm. with your personal liberties, with the clothes you wear. Yeah. You're giving it too much. <laughs> you must giving it too much credibility with the, with the liberties. Forget that. Yeah. The government is saying these are the clothes you can't wear. Simple. Exactly. That, Which is exactly. bizarre. Well, well put. <laughs> Let's uh, go to our next guest, uh, Aisha Mali, who is an Ahmadi Muslim who has lived in, in London and now has moved to France. So actually can give us a perspective of, uh, you know, life in the two countries. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show, sister. Walaikum uh, salam. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much. The pleasure is all ours. So you moved to France a few years ago from London. Um, yeah. What differences have you felt uh, as a as a practicing Ahmadi woman, uh, uh, Ahmadi person who uh, used to live in London and is uh, was used to certain personal liberties or the choice of your own dress, as Brother Kim was saying, mm. and, and now move to France. Well, I used to live in Heart of London, like South Wales and then Battersea. So, and I saw a diversity. And, uh, you know, in London, you can go uh, go about wearing whatever you like and not worry what others are going to think. Mm-hmm. Here, it's a bit different. A country where Islamophobia is written into law, you are made to feel very conscious that these people are negatively going to judge you. But that's the thought I had in my mind coming in. But uh, as Aman was saying, that um, a public here are nice. They are very um, curious. And my six years here, I've never had a single negative experience can you believe? <laughs> and I don't know much French language either. So uh, I think it's, as Amal was saying, that it's the government uh, scapegoat that they um, try to avoid the, um, like, uh, like, you know, important issues. The major and issues, they, yeah. They just use, yeah, the major issues. And they just use um, uh, every time they use uh, Muslims as a scapegoat. Where in France are you living, can I ask? Uh, right now, I am in Strasbourg. It's the border of Germany. Right. And, and uh, yeah. before that, were you actually living in proper France? What he means is, what, he, what brother that he loves is, when you say France to him, he just thinks Paris, full stop. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, I'm not that ignorant, but yeah, this, this is a tongue-in-cheek question. I love that. You, that was so good, even I, even I was stunned yeah, I for a second. I could see that in your eyes, yes. <laughs> So uh, before that, uh, before here, um, uh, I used to live two hours from uh, Paris. Right. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. So uh, what would you, what advice then would you give to Muslims um, on how to respond to, uh, to this, to these restrictions? 
Well, I, I think what helps me a lot is uh, the thought that Islam is a beautiful religion with peaceful teachings. And uh, this would always give, give me great confidence when going on about. And um, But we also know we need to follow the law of the land. And uh, I think Muslims should do what Hazur uh, Khalifa of the Ambiya Muslim community says, and that is to show non-Muslims beautiful Islam through your best behavior. So, you, uh, you know, through your... Um, Behavior. Go about your day with your confidence, in faith, and a smile. That's what I, I think in my six years, that's what I did. And um, I had confidence that my there's nothing wrong with my religion and my teachings. And uh, whatever the thoughts they have, it's the, um, I mean, the, uh, I think that's what gave me the confidence. And um, uh, people um, uh, then are kinder towards you. And uh, if they banned abaya, dress modestly in other ways. And uh, for instance, as um, Amanda saying as well, that you can get uh, um, like your dresses from a French stores here, and uh, then wear that as outer covering. And I think I would say that best response to negativity is um, love for all, hatred for none. You have to be better than them, you know. Aisha, in a, in a recent uh, virtual mulaqat I was listening to recently, Hazur also emphasized, you know. Um, with with young Lejna, he was talking to where the question was asked about the the, the outer garment, the coat, the young Ahmadi Muslim, young Ahmadi Muslim, Muslim, Muslim women. Uh, women Association, and Hazur mentioned the shawl, how you know yeah. it, it can be worn um, because that was traditionally even in in the olden days that was the outer garment that was worn by ladies. Yeah. Do you think if women were to start practicing wearing the shawl, it would be the next things they would ban? Is there a fear? Is there similar kind of fears that the French government will go from, um, you know, ridiculous to even further, um, you know, depths of, of stupidness? I think um, it will be the shawl if whatever uh, the French Muslim uh, woman try like a goat words, that's what they're going to ban. And currently they've banned it, um, the abaya under 18. And uh, I, was, I was thinking maybe the next time it might be the universities that they uh, look towards and um, because there it's allowed right now, but they might ban stuff there. Well, the, well, they've already objected to the kimono. We, because we, I was reading in Al Jazeera, yeah. I was talking to um, our earlier guest. What, what is your, what is your take on young children growing up in France? What are your concerns regarding identity and faith? Because women, m- Muslim women, are clearly identifiable with the with the clothes they wear. Yeah. So, is is there? What is the concern? And and <clears throat> what's the What's the take of the local people on on these bands? I mean, do they even care? And this is just a political game. Um, uh, I think, yeah. Um, uh, uh, so we had like a mock open day, and a hundred French guests came. And I live uh, in an area. My son goes to a school where we are the only Muslims, and we are the only coloured people there. And uh, I've met the nicest staff. The whole of the school, that uh, all the I, I go with a scarf and uh, with my book on, and um, uh, we take uh, we send uh, food, we share food during Ramadan, and uh, we invite them on events as well, and they come. And uh, during the mosque open day, like hundred guests came, and they were all white, all French. And uh, they were very interested. They asked so many questions, and um, uh, we showed them all this, you know, charitable work the ladies do. And uh, they left with a very positive outlook. And um, th- that's the public opinion that they're willing to learn. 
and uh, they're willing to come whenever you invite them. Uh, obviously, I was we invite 500 people, send the invitations, 100 will come. But that's uh, like you know a positive. At least they mm-hmm. come and they're willing to learn. And um, because here in France, um, um, the only source of uh, learning about faith is uh, through either if you're faithful, uh, like if you follow that religion, or uh, the other thing is through media. Yeah. Like in UK, you have uh, religious education in schools, uh, mm. there, which is a neutral ground where children learn basic teachings of all faith, which promotes tolerance and respect. But here, it's not that. And uh, here, as you know, school practice secularism, which I think it's selective secularism, because in my son's school, they do one month of Easter activities and one month of Christmas activities, which I don't, if they're practicing secularism, that's, you know, mm. they fall mm. into. Why that? Exactly. Excellent point there. Yeah. Yeah, Sister Aisha, um, you sound like somebody who is an excellent ambassador um, of Islam. Um, so thank you for all the work. One criticism that um, is often made in the West, um, yes. not just in France, uh, against Muslims um, and Muslim women in particular, is that um, Muslim women uh, do not integrate. Has your dress ever restricted you from um, from integrating in the society? And what does integration actually mean to you? Exactly. <laughs> what more integration do they want? Um, like... Um, uh, my dress uh, to me it is never any hindrance and uh, uh, whatever is need in like a community where uh, they need the community people to come together we are always present there uh, despite i mean whether i'm wearing an abaya or whatever i'm uh, i don't wear an abaya but uh, my coat and um, so we have like a charity walk uh, cancer for cancer is coming up and uh, we're going to go to that as well and um, i don't know of, of, uh, what more integration they want because we have in our um, in our community we have uh, many teachers here and um, uh, we have many social workers we have um, a lot of staff and um, uh, uh, so they've gained education and they are in the school systems and they're uh, you know serving the public as well yeah Right. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Sister Aisha, for joining us uh, all the way from Strasbourg, which which I believe is half German, but uh, you may disagree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, Aisha Brother, Brother Daniel says that to a person who's living in France. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. Thank Have you. a fantastic weekend. Thank Peace be with you. Lovely speaking with you. Thank you. Brother Daniel. Right. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I will say nothing. Sure. Okay. So For once, I'm speechless. That would mean something. When you, you know? actually said that. <laughs> yeah, he was you, done for I a was, second. I, I just looked at you thinking, hold on. What? Huh? <laughs> You're like... <laughs> you, you were stunned. Yeah, I was stunned. And, and exactly. So, you know, I've been working with you for what, four or five years yes, now, and this is the first time the first I've time actually seen like, you. <laughs> like, oh my God. Wow, that's, uh, that means something then. Just for the benefit of our listeners, we, we, we use word, words like hijab, abaya. Hmm. What, what, is, what is the definition of a hijab? Right, so the practice, um, uh, let me say, uh, start with the practice. So the practice of wearing a veil or hijab which is really uh, a head covering and a loose outer clothing, uh, actually has a much deeper meaning and wisdom behind it than just being a piece of cloth. The whale is a shield of protection, not just for a Muslim woman, but also for everyone else from the ever-increasing immodesty prevailing in the society. 
The real purpose of the whale is to empower women so that they can actually feel safe and comfortable and 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 and, and dress in the manner that they uh, so that they can actually be be seen through the lens of their intelligence and what they can contribute towards the society as opposed to what they dress. But you know what what baffles me is we live in the west where they are forever all you hear is me too feminism equality 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 yet they still objectify women they still identify a woman from the physique yeah um they still se- they are they, they they have created a sexualized society by using women and when islam is actually promoting the intellect the equality of the intellect of women which is you know mm. they're fighting against it exactly it doesn't make sense if it makes sense to you and you're listening yeah. please call me and educate me yeah. how is it that when <clears throat> the the mayor a few years ago um offered the fourth plinth which changes on a regular basis mm. to 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 the feminist movement and they asked how would you identify or or, or celebrate the feminist movement mm. instead of putting um you know maybe um, any woman who any 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 female mm. who had discovered um, you know a theory or 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 had done an academic achievement mm. they came back with a suggestion that they would want to put their idea of winning equality was to have a woman up there a, a statue of a woman who was wearing nothing hmm that's the best they came up with in mm. looking at the progression of women in the western world yeah uh, yeah so that's what feminism actually means to some at least i i, I would say or 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 um uh, or in terms of how they wanted it to be portrayed crazy no yeah it's it's uh, yeah. the mindset mm. is just in a wrong place yeah you know so many so many accomplished women for centuries and they could only find one who had none and this is what empowerment actually means to them yes to be able to take off the clothes bizarre in chapter 24 of the holy quran god almighty says to both and again that's so important both men and women to restrain their eyes and guide their private part guard <coughs> guide their private parts and be modest in dealing with the opposite gender so that they are regarded so they regard each other as human beings rather than as objects and that's the point isn't it women are treated as objects mm. in the society we're living in they objectify women yeah and 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 people are always very vocal in giving their opinions about how how um terrible it is yet they won't act on the words that they are so vocal about they don't practice what they preach yeah yeah absolutely and the teachings of the promised messiah azam azulam ahmed on whom be peace the the, the founder of the amdia muslim community you know it's it's always been that we practice what we preach we live a practical religion it's not just words that's what they had become mm. just words lip service whereas he had come to revive the 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 true message the authentic islam brought to us by the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him and and they had disappeared over the years whereas the promised messiah brought it back 
and 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 taught us what real equality means and all the caliphs of the promised messiah since him the first caliph second third fourth and and you quoted uh, the the fifth caliph of the promised mm. messiah his holiness hazimiza masuramat may allah strengthen his and how he is forever talking about what true equality and justice really means absolutely and on that note let's uh, go to our last guest for this segment uh, mr asif arif who has joined us who is actually an uh, an attorney in paris as well as california and also an author assalamu alaikum peace be with you thank you very much for joining us welcome thank you for having me so uh, mr arif let me start by asking you how are a handful of children wearing abayas how do they pose a threat to french secularism and if i may brother uh, arif to expand on that why is the west and in this particular equation why is france so scared of islam i mean the both are very good questions so the, the to address the first issue of your two sub question is why a piece of clothes would be an issue with france I mean that's what the education minister came back with right he said there's more and more information that go back to them saying that some people are claiming a baya or wearing a baya as a sign of uh, a religious identity but the issue behind was that all the muslim are saying that a baya is not a religious tradition and it's pertaining to some person who wants to wear that uh, particular type of clothing and banning them it's actually an infringement on their freedom of expression so that that's that, that's the debate behind it and there is no logical reason behind uh, coming and banning this abaya because even if we look at the overall uh, amount of student in france and the amount of you can say problems that arise uh, from abaya uh, the the problem incidents are about i think 15 or 20 and uh, we're talking about uh, more than 300,000 students going into uh, into the school system so many com- many commenters and i agree with them are saying that the actual intention of the government is hiding true p- political problems true political problems are the inflation of price no- notably of the office furnitures and the goods that we need for school to go for children to go to schools and also the lack of professors in classes because now we have one professor for 14 40 students which is a very huge amount of class <clears throat> which is a huge class and very it makes very challenging to teach and uh, i think those are the ground problem and and there is many many other problem in the national education system in france that we don't want to address and we come back with those kind of political line in order to just hide the true issue that are going ongoing in france when i and hear about Yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, Sorry. Just to reply to your second sub question, yeah. uh, I, I don't, I don't remember exactly what was it, but uh, the, you, you got the overall idea in in the response of the first one. But, brother, my, my question was, why is France or the West 
But in this particular equation, France so scared of Islam. I mean, uh, this the the reason there is multiple reasons why there there is some some fear about Islam. The first reason is that France always has this thought that religious clerics are can be a problem at one point in the society, mm. and because they can be a problem, we want to contain it from the very beginning. But obviously, it's not the reason right here, right? It's when you think about the last 10 years or 20 years and the debates that are going through France, public public opinion, it's, it's just ridiculous. We're bringing so much topics. There is a, it's not that these are not political topics that we need to address, but these are topics that can be addressed into a, a, a minister meeting or uh, into a much more smaller decorum than the public opinion. You know, sometimes when you bring something in the public opinion, it causes more harm than it actually benefits the country. And this, this is exactly what is happening with mm. all this Muslim debate in France. Sure. And I, I think there is not a fundamental hatred against uh, against Islam, mm. but it's just a, a, a very uh, using Islam as a scapegoat for other political problem. That's what is mm. happening in France. Yeah, so it's it's really using you know this narrative uh, for for Machiavellian political uh, tactics and political priorities. Exactly. Uh, I when I. Think of these restrictions, I am immediately reminded of the principles, um, the motto of the French Revolution back in from back in 1789, which is really the bedrock of the modern French society, uh, the motto of um, liberty, equality, fraternity. Um, the question I want to ask is, is there any backlash actually in, in the French intelligentsia or within the French society against these this uh, these restrictions, which go very much against the heart of what the French Revolution actually stood for. Well, you know, <laughs> most of the political opinion don't even know. You know what, what is the implication of our? It's not important for them. No, it's not. It's not important. They're just like you know, recited as a mantra, but they don't even know what what is going on under these principles. And, they, you know, a lot of people say liberté, égalité, fraternité, laïcité. Laïcité means secularism, mm. which is not even a part of the uh, triptych, you know, that French Revolution brought. So uh, there is definitely a backlash, meaning that, you know, the political uh, geography uh, at the moment is very very much divided on this and abaya triggered like a really a, a really good response from the left wing who actually opposed uh, frontally to this uh, the, to to this ruling it's not a law by the way a lot of people say it's a law no it's an executive ruling so it's not even a law it's just the government who has adopted a position on entry into the public schools so so, it's, sorry, so what does that mean? To, yeah. If somebody was yeah. to then challenge that executive order, and if it's not law, then on what basis yeah. are these teachers sending children back home? 
No, no. So the executive order, when it creates a, a, a situation where we're depriving rights to to someone, mm-hmm. it's challengeable in front of administrative court. So uh, obviously, this has been challenged actually, and it went all the way to the. Uh, French Supreme Court and the French Supreme Court enter judgment in favor of the government. Mm. But the judgment that has been entered in favor of the government was a very specific preliminary injunction. So I don't want to go into technicalities sure. here, but it's not a definitive judgment basically on the matter. It's just a, a, a very quick judgment that has been given regarding the circumstances. So we have to wait for the judgment on the merits to have a proper view of what's going on about this executive order. Um, But definitely what we're trying to argue here, and there's a set of lawyers that are trying to argue here, is that if your name is Mariam or Nadia or any Muslim resonance name, you will be sent back to school and you will be sent back to home. And if your name is um, Sophie or or Beatrice, or whatever other French name uh, sounds like, you will most likely be granted entry into the school. So uh, it creates a discrimination. Uh, It creates a facial discrimination because people will make judgment based on your overall look. Uh, and uh, or your name, so it creates a, a very strange situation of discrimination, and I think that's what the lawyer are trying to uh, challenge. But this judgment will be rendered much later, so it will lose a little bit of its grasp because uh, we will not be into this media t- media crazy time, you know, of uh, uh, banning the abaya. Um, Mr. Arif, there is a school of thought which uh, believes that had Macron not done this, so he actually did this um, to counter the narrative from Marie Le Pen. And had he not done this, uh, he would have lost the elections or he would have lost the um, um, uh, his popularity. What would you say to that? I mean, I I will agree with the second statement, not the first one, because the election are far back now. Uh, He won the election. He's done now. He he competed against Marine Le Pen. And I I think the second statement is is more correct, right? Emmanuel Macron is facing a a big, steep, deep uh, (laughs) into his his his. into the public opinion and his popularity. Mm-hmm. So he's trying everything and anything to gain back this popularity. And it seems like uh, his advisor focused on Twitter and commenters, commenters on Twitter, you know, uh, not on actual issues that are happening in France. What we try to explain to the president of, of the French Republic is focusing on these minor issues will certainly give you a, a a temporary, a very, very temporary rise in your popularity in numbers. And even though if you look at today, honestly, the polls are showing that Emmanuel Macron is even going more down. So it's not even beneficial for him. And there is other polls are showing that all his minister of education show that he's a right-wing candidate and all that. So they're all going toward Marine Le Pen. And they're showing that the actual agenda of Emmanuel Macron is a right-wing agenda. And we, everybody's trying to tell him that. Everybody, I, I don't know who he's being advised by, but um, definitely not a not not the greater not the great advisor that I've seen so far. 
I think Emmanuel Macron has been elected for when the first time he got elected, and he made statements by saying that I don't want a laicite, meaning the secularism that exclude people. But today he's doing exactly the mm. opposite, only for small benefit, political gain. And uh, politics uh, always give you some victory, but they're very temporary. And what you need to see is the overall global picture, and the global picture for Emmanuel Macron looks devastating. And finally, Mr. Arif, uh, which way do you think the wind is blowing in France? Do you see this increasing uh, wave of uh, right-wing extremism or right-wing politics um, seeing a decline anytime soon in France? I will see a decline in far right when we will see a, 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 a very good incline in Muslim vote. The issue is population they are following Islam as a religion, although they are very important, their vote is ridiculously low. So these people should realize that the only uh, uh, weapon that they have in their hand is their electoral card. When they elect people, when they when when they show up to the uh, to to the voting to to the voting um, to the local council to cast a vote, so these are important weapons, and that's what people from our generation, Muslims and all that, don't understand. There is, you, you see, there is a people are less and less confident into democracy and at the same time they're less and less also confident about who we're bringing into power and because of these two factors they are deserting the vote and they're not, they're not going to cast their vote or they vote like um, you know they, they don't vote for anybody and all that so that is the core issue when these politicians will realize that we there is a Muslim vote. There is some people who are voting for their idea to be uh, proposed into the public opinion. Then they will change their way of uh, dealing with us, with people who are looking for some rights and all that. If we don't, this is what we're um, meant. This is what is meant to happen in the next couple of years. Wonderful. Brother Arif, thank you so much for taking time out, as always, and coming on to the Drive Time Show in Voice of Islam. I wish you a fantastic thank evening you. and a weekend ahead. May peace be with you. You too. Thank you. You know, it's and such an important point that Brother Arif made that this, as much as we are criticising, or we're not criticising, we're highlighting the wrongs that the government is doing. But it's also the responsibility of the Muslims to go and vote. Mm. If they have the right, yeah. go and air your opinion in the proper manner. Because if you don't vote and you have the right to vote, then because you haven't voted, you, you've actually cut down your own voice. You cannot complain. You must participate. Yeah. Mm. If, you don't complain, if, if you don't participate, then you can't complain. Then you have to live with whatever decisions... The, the government makes because that government probably came in you know by one vote and you chose not to vote so because of you <laughs> mm. but what I'm saying is so many people 
who have the right to vote don't vote, but they're always the vo- most vocal when it comes to criticism. And that cannot be. Right. Let's, uh, can I, uh, just towards the end of the show, um, read out um, a Quranic verse mm-hmm. and, and, and try to illustrate a little bit of what uh, is what does the Islamic society, what Islamic society has actually done for women over the last 1400 years? So in chapter uh, chapter 7, verse 27, the Holy Quran, it says, O children of Adam, we have indeed sent down to you raiment to cover your shame and to be in elegant dress. But the raiment of righteousness, that is the best. That is one of the signs of Allah that they may remember, chapter 7, verse 27. So here the Holy Quran talks about, you know, wh- the, the philosophy, why is dress important and what is the purpose of uh, the dress? But in terms of what the what are the rights of women, so in today's society, the view of women in Islam is often, is, is greatly misunderstood, with many, many Western democracies still believing Muslim women are oppressed, deprived of their rights. However, the reality is far from the truth. Since the arrival of Islam and its establishment, Muslim women have benefited from all sorts of rights, including the rights to inheritance, right to own property, right to work, and right to divorce, as well as countless more. The rights of women highlighted by Islam have have not actually been given by any other spiritual or worldly law as early as 1400 years ago. Most definitely. In conclusion... We can't really be sure of the next attack on women's rights. We've just discussed it. We've spoken to so many of our young uh, ladies who are living in France. Um, and one of them relayed the fact that, you know, there is that fear that there's an, that, that there might be another attack, which hopefully it won't be. But we can't really be sure of the next attack on women's rights, religious freedoms, and indeed the intersection, the intersecting space of the freedoms of women who feel more comfortable with their religiously befitting clothing. However, it is important that we really get to the root of the issue. We must ensure all parties are open to honest and productive conversation, as only then societal peace can be ensured. Modestly, contrary to popular belief, is not oppressive and arguably forcing a woman to take off her veil is just as oppressive as forcing a woman to wear one. It is a shame to see that Muslim women's own voices are being ignored. One must truly ask, what is the obsession with secularism? The truth is that truly actually itself as quite insecure in this case. Anyone who takes a look at Islamic teachings would know that Islam itself is not opposed to secularism and even promotes secularity. So what's the big deal with an abaya? You're listening to... The Twelve Time Show on Friday with myself, Kayum, and Brother Daniel. We're going to take uh, a quick break. We're going to listen to some messages. We're going to go to the news. And when we come back, we're going to go on to our second topic of the afternoon, which is all about mosques. So do stay tuned. Grab yourself a cup of coffee, that afternoon coffee. Cappuccino? Lucky. Why not? Absolutely. Cappuccino. Nah. Always cappuccino. See you guys, man. You love your fashion Sorry. coffee. Yeah. It's got to be an espresso. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these brief messages. You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Allah. 
to the Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome back to Friday Afternoon Drive Time Show with myself, Kiyou, Brother Daniel, and joining us for this hour, Brother Raza. Good afternoon. Assalamu alaikum. The one and only. The one and only. Mm. The one and only. The missing one. <laughs> the, the missing top- one. <laughs> <laughs> the second topic of the afternoon, as I mentioned just before we went on a break, is mosques. So what is a mosque all about? Um, Centuries ago, a house of worship was built in the Arabian Peninsula, which is also known as Mecca. And this house was, it's said to be established by Prophet Adam. And one thinks that, you know, since the beginning of man, the foundation stones were laid for a building, which became to known as the first house of worship and the purpose of this house was to fulfill the purpose of us as human beings being created which was to worship god almighty this house was built for the whole of mankind indicating that this house was constructed not just for muslims christians or any other particular nation it was built for the whole mankind for carrying out the worship of god almighty He also had a hidden prophecy that one day the whole mankind would gather together under one prophet, which is the who is the universal prophet, which is who is the holy prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Why are we talking about mosques today, Brother Raza? So the reason why we're talking about mosques today is because last weekend, um, the Voice of Islam team, they traveled to Cardiff and Huddersfield. Because in Cardiff, uh, quite historic, the first mosque of the Amdi Muslim community in Wales is going to be um, built, inshallah, in a couple of uh, months' time. Uh, But there was the foundation stone laying of the Cardiff mosque, as well as uh, a mosque that is going to be built, inshallah, in, uh, God willing, in Huddersfield. And that community, so we spoke to both of the local communities, spoke a little bit about the history of uh, their respective respective mosques, how it's going to be built, what is it that they're looking forward to, uh, how long the process was, what kind of challenges they faced on uh, their journey to this day, basically a very historic day for both communities, local communities. Um, and yeah, what, what they're looking forward to. And it was a very, very interesting journey for us. Learned so many things, spoken to so many people. 
Um, and the role that a mosque is going to play, the, these specific mosques, as well as any mosque of the Amdi Muslim community around the world, that is something that we would like to speak about in this part of the program. Now, you mentioned mosques, you mentioned Foundation Stone, the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, um, on whom be peace. He prophesied the foundation stone of the renaissance of Islam and the superior world order have been laid. Now mosques will be built and people will enter them and join the divine movement in hordes. And he is obviously talking about hmm. the Amdiya Muslim community. I have a question for you, Brother Raza. Hmm. Uh, and the question is, so um, you draw from here to Cardiff. Um, which wasn't supposed to be a four or five hour drive, but it turned out no, to be a four or five hour drive. Um, and then you drove for another, must have driven for another four or five hours um, to Huddersfield. And then all the way back uh, to London, again, another four or five hours drive, uh, all in a space of two days. Um, why do you, did you think it important to, um, to, to do these um, road miles? So I think if for one thing is it's as I said it's a milestone for both of the local communities but for us as well for Voice of Islam on that part to share some of the thoughts to share some of the emotions that people had to share the history of these local communities with our listeners out there that was the main point behind this because if you think about it how many Muslims are there in the UK? What do you think? Uh, uh, I think two million I think? No, no. I think it's more around three to four. It's two and a half million. So, so let's yeah. say three. Okay. Three million. Right. How many mosques do you think there are in the UK? Uh, 360. Oh, that's a very low number. It's, it's 1,500. Okay. So we have 1,500 mosques. But unfortunately, you will still, and you probably know this, you probably know this, we all know this, that there are still people out there who don't know exactly what a mosque is for, yep. who still think that a mosque is, is, is based or located in some dodgy alleyway where you have to have a secret passage and there are secret sermons being delivered, uh, the youth is being radicalized and whatnot. So unfortunately, we still have people with that mindset here in this country, as well as in many, many other countries around the world. So for us to show and to, to make sure that we tell our people that, look, because Voice of Islam is live in Cardiff now as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So Voice of Islam is live in Cardiff. If you are listening out there in Cardiff at the moment, um, reach out to the Amdi Muslim community. If you want to find out more about where that mosque is going to be built, you can contact us, you can contact the local community there. And you would be surprised um, in finding out how open this community is. You would be surprised to learn how welcoming this community is. And if you want to find out anything about a mosque or about Islam or about religion or just want to have a chat, then by all means, do reach out and we'll put you into contact with the local people there in Cardiff or in Huddersfield. Just a quick correction, brother. um, So according to the... um 2021 census, the total population Muslim in the UK is 3.87 million. Oh, well, I think it supports so yeah, your point I'm, even I'm, more yeah. because the, the number of mosques is indeed 1,500 in the UK. So I think it, it actually supports your point even more mm. that for even a larger number of Muslims, there are less a number of mosques and, 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 and still 
most people don't know what a mosque is for exactly so his holiness when he travels up and down not just the country but around the world i mean we just returned from germany where you had five mosque openings um mm-hmm. a, you know a mo- beautifully built mosques they he he inaugurated them he opened them and they're now open for the public and the reaction that you've seen probably online if you go check out the interviews and the reactions of the people who attended those um uh, you, you know those functions those inaugurations is always the same in 2023 with all the information that is available with all the the means that we have at our disposal people still don't know they're still in the dark they're still not aware simply but because you have never been to a mosque and the reason i understand in some cases based on what they hear in the news based on what not just you know national news or international news but also what happens around them the behavior sometimes the conduct of certain muslims maybe not that great maybe not that ideal uh, maybe not that inviting um that they make their way to the mosque but his holiness hazrat mirza masood the the current caliph of the md community he at at every step at every mosque inauguration he speaks to the people who are there the neighbors who have come who have traveled to that inauguration and one example um uh, when he speaks about the true objective of a mosque he said, he said that let it be clear that our mosques are built with the same intentions and brother kim you were alluding to this uh, and same ob- objectives as the kaaba was built so the kaaba mm. mean that black cube in the heart of mecca where all the muslims pray towards so whenever we stand in prayer we face that direction he said um so that's the objectives that a mosque is built as beacons of peace for mankind and places where men women and children can join together to worship allah the almighty and to spread peace and compassion throughout the society if every muslim and indeed every person were to fulfill these principles then the entire outlook of the world would be at once transformed all forms of hatred conflicts and grievances would die away and be replaced by a spirit of love sympathy and mutual understanding now <clears throat> i i i mentioned i finished off my statement with talking about the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him and then i went on to say how the promised messiah um who is the second coming that everyone's been waiting mm. for he is the person most religions around the world um are waiting for they've been waiting for for forever and with the amdi muslim community we believe that he is the second coming he is the promised messiah yeah. everyone has been waiting for and he actually instructed everyone he instructed the community that a lot of mosques will be needed because the message he's bringing is the revival of the word of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him and there is a difference hmm. because the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him himself foretold that there will come a time that they all these other mosques that brother raza has referred to they will be full of people yeah but they will they, they will be bereft of guidance they will be bereft of guidance and hence the, if you were to look at the simplicity and the beauty of the ahmadiyya muslim muslim community they blend into within the local architecture yeah. they blend in within the within the community and they are open to all the community if you were to listen to the uh, to the last address that uh, his holiness the fifth caliph of the promised messiah hazrat mirza masood ahmad may allah strengthen his hand he talked about how this is not just for the muslims who are going to come and pray yeah. the mosque is there to unify the community it is there the muslims are told not there's a choice they are mm-hmm. told that they are there to promote 
cohesive living to encourage people to come and uh, and utilize the mosque as a community center yeah. where everyone will come and see true action and true living of the motto of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is love for all, hatred for none, and how mosques are open to everybody and our hearts are open to everybody to come and see how we live. And as you mentioned in the first half of the program, it's not the Prophet Zion, whom is the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he, he came and said, it's not just about talk. Yeah, That's talk right. is fine. Everything is good, but if you don't put it into action, if you don't put your, your, you know, your 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 teachings into into actions, then what's the point of all your faith? So within the Amdiyam Security, I think the Bata Futu Mosque, the complex where Voice of Islam studies are located, is probably the best example. Yep. You've given tours. I've given tours. You brought people, mm-hmm. and and I've seen pretty much every time I come here, there's always some some tour happening. Some people mm-hmm. are here. Um, they're just walking by. I want to come in by all means, and that's across the globe, not country, across the globe. And if I can, if I can just uh, uh, piggyback on what uh, Brother Raza just said. So tomorrow, as part of the Open House Day so, London, yeah. um, Bethel Mosque, which is the largest mosque in Western Europe here in modern uh, in South London will be open uh, for any visitors tomorrow and on Sunday so Saturday and Sunday both days this particular mosque will be open for anybody it's it, not to say that it's not open otherwise but but tomorrow it will be a special occasion where anybody and everybody is totally welcome and they can come in and they can uh, they can come in and look at the whole complex they can uh, come in and pray in the mosque they can come in and view the mosque and uh, as part of the London Open Day celebrations, they can actually come and enjoy the setting of the mosque and, and enlighten themselves mm. as to what, you know, the, uh, the the question we were answering earlier, what is the purpose of a mosque? I'm, I'm glad you piggy banked because that's what I was going to be doing as well. <laughs> that you... We, we discussed sure this in the first... We, we discussed it in the first show that the difference between... <laughs> you just You just ignored me, didn't you? You just ignored me. I did. I'm agree. sure you heard I what did, I said. I, I heard you very loud and clear. <laughs> but I will say nothing. That the Muslim world had got to a state of lip service. Yeah. And that's where the difference lies within the Amdi Muslim community and the teachings of the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. The way he said, we believe in a living God. Mm. And a living God means practicalities. Mm. It means you have to do not just say if you're going to say it you, you it's incum- it, it's incumbent upon you to to act on those words and that's where he is reviving the true message of the promise uh, of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him so when you do visit the mosques or when you do see the words love for all hatred for none or you see or, or you visit any mosque which belongs to the amdi muslim community i urge you to go and find out that what is it that we believe hmm. and the belief that the second coming or or the 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 um the person everyone has been waiting for for thousands of years we believe that he has come hmm. and when you do see the amdi muslim community know that we believe that the promised messiah has come to revive the true islam which has been brought to the earth um by um the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him and the difference being that it it it's it's all about the pen it's all about knowledge it's all about education and that is the message that the promised messiah has thought and it's all about unification of all religions on love peace and humanity and that is a message you will not hear anyone else because it actually contradicts the belief of of the messiah that a lot of other people um uh, think that's going to happen 
So do come in and, and ask the question, has the second coming happened? And we'll be more than happy to take you through who the Amdiya Muslim community is. Now, and on that note, the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, he also said that whatever you wish to establish you know, the, the a local community of, of Ahmadi Muslims and introduce the true teachings of Islam to others, you should build a mosque mm-hmm. as the progress of the community is founded on the construction of mosques. Now, having said that, let's start with Cardiff. As I said, there's a few interviews that we took. There's a few impressions that we took. The first one is about the Cardiff Mosque. So we're going to play an interview that we've took with Mr. Zahid Jatoy, who is one of the, who is the, uh, the vice president of the one of the auxiliary organizations of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is the Ahmadiyya Muslim Elders Association. Why, Ethnic brother Daniel Elders Association? Uh, brother, yes, brother. Um, you're not. Is, what's I'm what's not past the Elders Daniels. Association? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I am the. Well, um, is well past it. What's behind that? I am the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Super Elders Association. Association. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck at seven. Yeah, and and you know. Ah, okay. I don't have a problem saying that. Just, but yeah, you don't look like it though. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> no, you still look young. I'm, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Of Listen, course. when I talk about centuries ago, the building of the Kaaba. Yeah, <laughs> I was there. Right? No, no, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. No, no, we're not saying that. We are not saying that. Anyways, um, so that was Mr. Zahir Jatoy. We spoke to him. He spoke about the role of the MDM Muslim Elders Association in building and constructing or you know, in any form or shape uh, of that mosque in Cardiff specific. And that's exactly what he had to say. Let's have a listen to that. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. So I'm standing here with Mr. Zahir Jatoy, who is the vice president of the Majlis Ansarullah, which is the auxiliary organization for the elder, um, the Ahmadi Muslim Elders Association. Um, and you're quite heavily involved in this project, in this mosque that is going to be built here in Cardiff. Tell us about that. Uh, uh, you may not uh, aware of that this mosque or this building or this property was bought few years back and uh, the idea was to build a purpose-built mosque at that time but with some delays because of the council planning and all this uh, it took quite a few years and by the grace of Allah today uh, is the day when the national president UK will inshallah lay the foundation stone and we member of Majlis Ansarullah and the Muslim Elder Association are also here to to see to celebrate this day. Yeah. How much so you spoke about it took almost two years. It's not just okay you have the funds and you start build, building a mosque. It's not that easy is it? No no no. Initially when the building was bought by the grace of Allah uh, and the Muslim Elders Association raised more than 800,000 pounds within a year or two. And then there was a delay. So now the, the, the cost has gone up. Mm. So we have already started the fundraising campaign and the target is to raise another 1.5 million pounds, which is the cost of the, this project. And uh, hopefully with the help of Allah, inshallah. Where do, does that money come from? This money will come from our members of the Muslim Elders Association. So no no outside funding, no 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 governments? Nothing. It's all our members' contributions. Wonderful. And uh, for the future, what are we looking at? 
Oh, we, we are looking a beautiful mosque, a beautiful place for this local community, for Cardiff, Newport, uh -huh. and, uh, and inshallah. What, what does it mean for the local members for the, to have a mosque of their I own? I tell you, local members are so desperate to have a mosque, a proper mosque, that uh, once, inshallah, this building will complete, they will appreciate this will be a this will be a center for their prayers, for their education, for their other functions, weddings, and even they can bring the external people here to show the mosque and to tell them about the Islam. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Zakala for that. <laughs> Right, so that was Mr. Zahid Jatoi, the Vice President of the Amvi Muslim Elders Association UK, and he spoke about the project itself. Um, one thing that we are very proud of, I think, proud, there's nothing wrong with saying proud of, um, is that every mosque around the world built by the Ahmadi Muslim community, acquired by the Ahmadi Muslim community, or anything that, 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 that is our mosque, any building, is... Um, see, <laughs> I mean, look, please... <laughs> Brother Kiyum was frantically <laughs> searching for his glasses, which were sitting at the top of his head. Uh, I yeah. apologize. Yeah, absolutely. That's, Have you taken your pills this that, morning? That says it all. <laughs> <laughs> so I was saying, we're very, very proud of the fact that every mosque, every uh, mosque that we built or every mosque that we own is fully funded by the members of the community. There's no outside funding at all whatsoever. No government, no NGO, no... CEO, no, whatever is involved. So it's entirely the sacrifices of the members of the MDMs community that that they bring um, to the table, which enables these local communities then to build these mosques. Now, we also spoke to the regional president of the Southwest, which includes the Cardiff uh, uh, mosque or the Cardiff area, Mr. Muhammad Naman, and he spoke a little bit about the challenges about uh, the challenges of building a mosque, which was quite surprising to us as well. We also spoke to the architect and the con uh, the uh, the contractor who is going to build that mosque, uh, who's from Cardiff, is local local um, uh, agency, and he was telling me about that as well and how how. It impacted him when he saw uh, the yeah well, well you the, could say the, the the dirty politics behind it yeah right what exactly that means uh, let's let's listen to Mr. Mohammed Naman so we're joined here by Mr. Mohammed Naman who is the regional president of the Southwest region which covers the Cardiff area as well um, Mr. Naman I want to ask you about this wonderful mosque that is going to be built that you will have inshallah um, in uh, the future but. Leading up to this point, I'm sure there's many challenges. I want to ask you briefly about the history. How did you get here? Yes. Jazakumullah for having me. Thank you very much. Um, so this is a big day for us. Uh, today we are having uh, this ceremony and uh, it, it will be a new chapter for us. But obviously there is a long history. So we started searching for the mosque place uh, many years ago. Uh, and uh, finally in 2013, 12, 2013, there were four or five different places which were seen, which we visited, almost purchased. Uh, but due to various factors, the deal did not happen. Uh, and then this particular place was uh, found in 2014 and we purchased it. Uh, and uh, we got the keys in April 2014. So this is an old office block of a painting company here. 
they were using this building obviously so the building was in a shape which we can continue using as a kind of community hall and we were offering prayers and using it for other programs but the original plan was to build a purpose-built mosque and we wanted that purpose-built mosque uh, the plans were uh, mm, the planning permission applications were given uh, but unfortunately uh, planning uh, the council planning committee refused our um, application for twice actually uh, after keeping it for a long time so they wasted a lot of our time then finally uh, we I mean there was a divine help we didn't know that there was some conspiracy going on at the back end uh, and there was uh, so the uh, there was a counselor which became an instrument for that uh, divine help she exposed the plans that was a labor counselor and she actually told us that there are a few counselors which are kind of mainstream Muslims who are spreading rumors about our community and uh, false data also which is uh, kind of having big influence on their refusal uh, so a big controversy happened and finally a labor uh, party they did their internal investigation they took some actions and alhamdulillah after that our application was swiftly approved in march 2018 when we got the planning permission but then as it happens with covid our plans got delayed uh, but finally we are here now it's a big day for us we are going to start it will take another one and a half year as we are told inshallah this mosque will be built and uh, there will be multi uh, double story uh, separate se section for ladies and for men and then we have a multi-purpose hall here a lot of parking so we're looking forward to that day inshallah yeah and lastly i want to ask you so you've seen you know this community yeah. grow you've seen the needs grow of this community um and you probably understand probably better than anyone else here the importance of having a place that yes. you call your own yes yes it's, it's very important it's very important. There is um, uh, obviously mosque. We all want a mosque, and mosque is our uh, place where we do everything. That's our uh, gathering place, place of worship, uh, community, uh, sports, everything. So I think uh, having a mosque, our own mosque, that makes a big difference. And uh, the blessings which we've already seen in the last eight, seven, eight years, ever since we've got this structure, uh, the membership of Cardiff Jamaat has doubled uh, already. Uh, Cardiff is one of the top performing uh, Jamaat's uh, chapters in, uh, in, in, in UK. Mm -hmm. They are doing everything. Yeah. So, so, so we could not, uh, this could not have happened without this place. So we have already seen that. Wonderful. And actually, you know, we're looking forward to that day when uh, this mosque will be built and uh, our um, uh, Holiness, uh, he will come here to inaugurate and everybody is waiting for that day when His Holiness comes here. Thank you. Yes, that was really good. God willing, that day comes very soon. Inshallah, and we will definitely cover that. Growing up, I was in 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 a in a community where we didn't have a mosque. In Germany. In Germany, okay. we didn't have a mosque, so we we did what you know many local communities around the world do that. You have, uh, you know, somebody offering their house. It's always a makeshift center. It's a makeshift center. So the makeshift center came way after. Um, after I had gone, become an imam and all that stuff, and then they acquired that 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 center. But I remember that for a time being, we offered our house. So in the living room, the local community would come together. Friday prayers would happen there, and this. And whenever we would go to a mosque, which is like the the closest mosque was like probably an hour away in, in Frankfurt. The 
Like it's for me, I still remember the joy we used to have. That oh my god, this is a mosque. It's our mosque. We can go there at any time. Mm-hmm. And they have. They used to have this, um, you know, playing field as well outside. So you could play football. Mm-hmm. You could play basketball. And just just to call a place your mm-hmm. own. As soon as you entered the gates, this was it yours. Gave you a sense of belonging. Exactly. And when you do your prayers in the mosque, oh. is it? It's a different level. I still mm. remember that carpet. Is, absolutely, yeah. I still remember that carpet. I still remember, you know, the walls. The, the comfort the, you feel. The comfort that you yeah. feel. The spirituality you feel. That's right. Yes. Yeah, it's it a is whole, so different. It's, it's a, a different experience. Different, yeah, extremely different. Yeah. And then you come here where you have, you know, the Bath of Two Mosque. You have the, 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 the first purpose-built mosque in London, the, the London Mosque. And then when you go to to uh, the Farnham, um, the mm. Mubarak Mosque, there, the, this beautifully newly newly built mosque, it's something that only people can understand who who go through this journey. Yeah, and that's something that we felt in Cardiff. That's something that we felt in Huddersfield. We're gonna move on to Huddersfield, and Huddersfield was was even a level beyond in the sense that I've met people there who had been waiting for almost 50 years. Wow. Like these people, they came in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And from that day on, they've been trying, they've been struggling, they've been been doing everything that they could to have a mosque of their own. And all that patience has paid off. All that patience has paid off. And you should have seen the joy on people's faces there. I mean, we're talking about men, women, children. Just the fact that this is the first step. It is going to happen. It is in reach um, was was just amazing to see. We're also going to speak to one of the oldest members in the Huddersfield community, uh, in the Huddersfield chapter of the Muslim community. And again, so he has been there from, from, from the early 60s. He's seen it all. Though when, as I said, you know, my experience same. When you had houses, then when you had a community center, and then you had a makeshift mosque, and then finally now, after sixty years, they're going to build a mosque, purpose-built mosque. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call if you want to have your say. If you want to. Um, uh, ask any question if you have any question about a mosque if you want to get in contact with us to find out what or where the local uh, the closest mosque is for you that you can visit by all means do give us a call you know we're talking about mosques and we're talking about construction and we're talking about building not just one but numerous mosques Mm. it is also very important to kind of and clarify this issue of finance yes because Ahmadiyya Muslim community has never and does not believe in taking money from any external no. sources no governments no agencies uh, no no huge non-Ahmadi to, uh, donations there is no um, financial negotiations when it comes to building mosques, the the Ahmadiyya Muslim community's mosques, whether it costs a thousand pounds to millions of pounds, hmm. every single penny is a donation that is given by the member of the community. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is important because <clears throat> the, the the haters, 
love mm. to pick this point yeah. hmm. that it's the Saudi money, it's the Moroccan money, it's or the it's British, the government money, it's or the, the British, local yeah, government British money. money. The British government money. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, what I'm saying is that yeah. there, are, there are factions out there who yeah. like to, to spread these rumors. Yeah. And I can assure you, Ahmadiyya Muslim community mosques are built by sacrifices that have been made by people um, who, who do give up. I'll, I'll go to that extent and say they'll give up that meal hmm. to save that money yeah. because they know that they want to donate it to the building of the mosque because they know, not they think, hmm. they know that this reward isn't giving, but it's an investment for the hereafter. So on that, um, there's a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in which he says that whoever builds a mosque in this life, in on, on this planet or hmm. in this world, God Almighty will build a house for him or her in the hereafter. hereafter. Right. So it's again, it's not just for fame. It's not because we want our name on a plaque. That's definitely not the reason. And we've spoken to the president of the uh, Huddersfield chapter as well, and we're going to play that clip in just a little bit. And he spoke about the sacrifices that every member of the community made, mm. young and old, and specifically the women as well. Yes. In, in his sermon today, His Holiness spoke about this one individual, this one lady who passed away, how they actually contributed to building mosques by offering their jewelry. The mosque here in London, the London Mosque in mm. Southfields, that's, that's, I think, the perfect example and this wasn't financed or paid for by women living here in the UK. No, no. no. These were women, poor women, <sighs> who gave everything that they had, all the jewelry, all the, all everything that they owned, so that this mosque could be built in 1924-26. In a small village. In a small village. In India, must be said. All right, now, we are going to speak, uh, as I said, move on to the Huddersfield Mosque or the Huddersfield chapter. Joining us today is uh, Mr. Shamsuddin Amini. He's the youngest of seven brothers. And uh, he came to Huddersfield, and believe it or not, on the 6th of November, 1964. Mr. Shamsuddin, assalamu alaikum, jazakumullah. Thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much. Many, many thanks to you. What can I do for you now? <laughs> Just ask me questions. Of course. Now, we want, uh, as I said last week, we traveled up uh, to Huddersfield and we saw... I saw you. Yes. I, I know you yeah. well on television. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's an international Today, Today is about you, Mr. Amini. I want to ask you. I saw you. Yeah. So, in, in 1964, you came. You have seen the Huddersfield community grow from strength to strength over the last 60 years. That weekend, last weekend, what did that mean to you? Well, this is a very great blessing. And uh, thank God our alive and uh, attend this, you know, this bricklaying job. Mm. And I saw you all pious peoples. And I was very, very pleased with my family. I came there. How how long has that journey been? Is there anything that is is very memorable in your in your memory that you remember? Oh, this is how it used to be. This is how it started, and look where we've come to. Yes, I remember everything. <laughs> I used to work in um, factory, and when we come back, we always attend the mosque, hmm. and we clean regular. You know, all mosque which we occupied. 
one mosque we offered a house you know house and take wall break a wall my nephew already I'll told you we contribute everything in the for mosque sake hmm. and Hello? yeah perfect uh, and lastly i want to ask you um how important is 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 a mosque for the local community you've grown up as a child you uh, you went through the whole process where you prayed in each other's homes then you had a salat center a mosque like a small center uh, and then you have this this uh, quite old building at the moment um to have a new mosque Uh, for the youth, for the for the next generation, for the men, for the women, how important is that for Huddersfield? It is a very very important for our future generation, future our children, ladies and future ladies and women. Everything is very important, very very important. Rather, because this season coming up, very good for us. You see, mm. because I. you know be i've been when i was done everything our khudam uh, not child you know i was khudam i was aware of everything and helping every all presidents and all murabbis because i used to live in the mosque next door about 10 yards difference mm. and help everything our new they see some come uh, you know from london every time when they change it 30 10 years 5 years they all change we used to help them everything mm. so this is a new mosque now we are really really optimistic yeah optimistic to to this inshallah you will see it um when that mosque inshallah. will be inaugurated by his holiness uh, mr shamsuddin amini thank you so much jazakallah for your time And again, congratulations to you, the entire community, your family for um, that foundation stone laying that happened last week. Jazakallah, assalamualaikum. Can I just say thank you very much for your team and all your videos. All you know, you can uh, what interview yeah. doing it. I saw. We're not done yet. There's a few more that we're going to upload today, inshallah. <laughs> okay, thank you. Mm. Goodbye. Okay, bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. So on that note, as I said, we spoke to Mr. Nasir Khan as well, who oversees these projects around the country, up and down the country. We're going to play that in just a little bit, and uh, just a little bit. But before that, we spoke to Mr. Munir Ahmed, who is the outreach secretary for the Huddersfield chapter, and he spoke a little bit about the history of the Huddersfield community and also some of the memorable um, uh, incidences that that you know he he can uh, narrate to us, and this is. what he had to say assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh welcome salam um i'm here with uh, munisa munisa you have been part of the mosque committee and the huddersfield community um, are looking to build the first purpose built mosque yes. uh, tell us uh, about the history of the community here in huddersfield uh, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh the history of uh, the huddersfield jamaat goes back 61 years It was first established uh, in 1962 in an end terrace property on Follyhall Road and by the grace of Allah the jamaat virtually occupied the whole of the uh, the Hope Street and uh, one member Kamaluddin uh, Amini sahab dedicated his house and uh, the study of the Holy Quran and daily daily prayers were being held there 
we were blessed with the khulfas all the khulfas khulfa khalifa tumsi the third the fourth and the fifth khalifa tumsi the third radiyallahu actually named the mosque nasir mosque and he blessed it as well and then after that we moved over to and purchased 41 Fitzwilliam Street, which we still got Beth Samad. In those days, they were all mission houses. Uh, and we've been not only just blessed with uh, the third Khalifa, uh, Razia Talano, and also Khalifa Rabi as well, Razia Talano. They both have been uh, present, and Khalifa Khamas as well. Uh, uh, as well. Uh, in terms of today, we are here to lay the foundation stone for Beth Al-Tahid. Beth Al-Tahid, uh, this uh, mock Tudor building, overlooks uh, cricket fields uh, um, has been purchased was purchased in 2008 and we have uh, got outline planning permission uh, it is a while ago but uh, today is such a historic moment that all the jamaat members uh, including the ladies and everyone have been waiting for this mm. some of our elders who are no longer here have also been waiting for this as well so this marking this foundation stone today will be the start of a purpose built mosque here for for the Huddersfield North and South Jamaats which we can uh, we we can benefit from so hopefully today we're going to have our uh, elders and those people who are here who're going to lay the stones and some of the other members as well and mm. Amir Saab is going to bless the occasion and be with us as well today inshallah i wanted to ask you about the any special memory you have from your childhood uh, living here in, in this community i think one of the deepest memories i have is uh, from hope street i was 6 years old in 1962 that tells you my age now um when uh, the 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 whole of the hope street uh, over a couple of years uh, was actually uh, occupied by the majority of our members these were all through terraces next door to each other and uh, we had some of our jamaat members who knocked uh, holes and drilled holes through and put wires through with speakers so all the hope street was actually tied up with speakers and as a 6 year old you can understand what it was like we were all jumping to call the azan the fajr azan And I remember myself a call for prayer. So for the call for prayer, it was an important thing in terms of the fajr prayers that was being held. Uh, and I cherish those moments when I was there at six, running to make sure that we could call these on. And all the members from Hope Street used to come for prayers. Chaudhry Zafrullah Khan Sahib has been there as well, and he has. Uh, Uh, attended a number of uh, events mm. so the uh, the the history is the second established jamaat in the uk after london mm-hmm. so it's got some tremendous history and in those days uh, kamaluddin amini saab not only just did the prayers and the holy quran he taught non ahmadis they were not established in those days but also our jamaat members from dewsbury it didn't used to be called spend valley in those days dewsbury bradford and all the way to manchester we used to have people from manchester that used to come to jalsas mm. and jamaat events at the nasser mosque in hope street so that is our humble beginning over the last uh, 61 years and then we have uh, moved uh, to another premises uh, on 4 central avenue which was a very large five bedroom a uh, Victorian uh, semi detached property which was purchased from an Ahmadi Muhammad Sadiq Saab uh, uh, for uh, 10000 pounds you know i was just talking to brother raza one of the most beautiful memories i have and humbling and 
and and memories of how hospitality really is mm. and how mm. it should be delivered is the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Huddersfield. Because I remember, and going back, we joke about the age thing, but going back 30 years, mm. 35 years, when we used to have the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association cricket tournament, the national cricket tournament in yeah. Huddersfield. And no matter what time of the night hmm. we used to get to Huddersfield, they were there. Like, not normally, you know, one person's there yeah, who's yeah, directing. Yeah. They were there in numbers yeah. to welcome you, to feed you, to make sure that you're comfortable when you're staying, you've mm. got the right quilt, you've got the pillow. You, you have the facilities. They... I, for me, I can say I learnt hmm. what in Islam, when they talk about your responsibilities as a host, hmm. Huddersfield do it, and they do it in accordance with how it's supposed to be, and then some. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, every time I've been up there, I've experienced the very same. Um, it's always been a pleasure. It's always been lovely to meet everyone up there. So at this point, I want to give a big shout out to the whole Huddersfield community. And as I said, I, I could see the happiness on their faces. I could see, and uh, you know, as you've just heard from Mr. Munir mm. and also from Mr. Shamsuddin, um, the, the journey that it took. I mean, look, you're, you got like, let's say, five or six houses in a row on one street. These guys were putting holes, drilling holes into their into their walls, putting up speakers so they, they could connect these five, six houses, or I don't know how many houses it was, so that the call for prayer could can be, be heard in, in each house. Wow. And it's not like, you know, you used to have phones back then or fancy PA systems or whatever um, you have nowadays where, where you don't have to drill a hole, but they, they, they did it. And all for the sake of God Almighty, all so that they could worship in congregation, which has more blessings in it, but also to teach the next generation. I mean, look, this Mr. Muni was talking about when he was six years old. So it was the sacrifices of their forefathers. It was sacrifices of their elders that enabled them to keep working at this age. I'm not going to tell his age, but he kind of did say it himself. But at this point, they are running that community and they're doing the same exact thing so they can hand it over to the next, next generation. generation. And all these sacrifices that they've given and that they've done is so that the next generation doesn't have to um, do the things that they had to. So that they can go to a mosque, call it their own, go at any point, at any time, at any day, at any, you know, in any month of the year and have a place that, that, that's theirs and have a place of their own. So as I said, we spoke to the president of the Huddersfield chapter and he's, he's going to focus a little bit more on the financial side, on, on, on the sacrifices that a community gives or does for the sake of uh, acquiring a mosque. We're here with uh, Amish Azad, who's the president of the Huddersfield uh, Jamaat community here. Um, you know, when we talk about building a mosque, uh, it's not like the money is just coming from nowhere. Uh, it takes a lot of sacrifice to build a mosque. Can you tell us how the community sacrificed uh, to, to, you know, uh, plan for this mosque and uh, build for it? And you, uh, by the grace of Allah, as we just already mentioned, that uh, community cannot forward 
or achieve their success uh, without any sacrifices. And we have a number of examples in front of us, uh, obviously from the Holy Quran as well, uh, how the uh, prophets, they sacrifice and their children. Uh, I would say the similar example and try to follow the same footstep uh, community here in Huddersfield. Uh, obviously, this is a big project here by the grace of Allah. It's uh, over two million pound project uh, and uh, a number of years uh, uh, obviously, we was working through to get uh, this milestone and we are still doing this one by the grace of Allah. Mm. Uh, there are a number of examples when uh, we uh, visited our community and this is the blessed community and the Jamaat of the Promised Messiah Islam is so beautiful that whenever a sacrifice is uh, required for them, uh, they put on side all their other uh, needs. Uh, which 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 are prior for them, but when it comes to sacrifice in the way of Allah, and uh, they put all these things on side and put this thing in front that they need to sacrifice for the way of Allah. Right, uh, a number of examples uh, uh, in front of me. But I will say first, I will start with the Lajna, uh, and this is a history of the Jamaat the as well. Human, yeah, human of the uh, how they donated towards this one. Uh, when uh, it was asked by Lajna that they need to donate uh, their jewelry as well, obviously, which is uh, very dear to them, which we all know. But uh, I have personal uh, example that see that whenever I visited. The Lajna member, they came to us with the sets of jewelry in their hands. And uh, they asked that, uh, please, uh, we received them on our weddings and other occasions from their husbands. But uh, please put these all this uh, money towards the mosque, to building of the mosque. This is more important. And uh, the beautiful thing was, uh, whenever these Lajna they brought their jewelry, they don't want to mention their names in front of community or anywhere. Because uh, all their sacrifices is pure for the God. I personally remember that uh, one of the student lady was here in Huddersfield and uh, uh, I think she collected uh, around 10,000 uh, pounds. She was student but all the money was collected to, to get, get her marriage done and also to buy some cars. But uh, I was very surprised uh, when, uh, uh, when we asked them that we need for this mosque, uh, she donated all this money towards the mosque to, to sacrifice this one, that uh, we will give this mosque. Uh, another aspect of uh, uh, sacrificing in the way of Allah that uh, uh, for the young people, I think uh, uh, cars and all these things are very dear, uh, we all know, but uh, one of the members, I remember, uh, they're supposed to change their car and uh, uh, when uh, we asked them that they need to start donating towards the mosque and we need the sacrifices uh, and donations, that then we come very quickly to our project. And I remember one of the person, he collected money for, for his car but he said uh, when this uh, tariq was done uh, that they need for this project they, they sold their car and all this money uh, we received for this mosque project. And the stories continue and go on and on and on. And uh, I can tell you uh, each and every one of them that uh, was mentioned was, was just amazing to hear. You know, the president said, and it brought a smile to my face because of the way he said it, there was so much emotion in his voice when he said that the community of the promised Messiah is so beautiful. Mm. And the reason why he said it's beautiful is followed up by the examples of the Amdi Muslim Women's Auxiliary Organization who took the oath. They could have just given lip service and say, look, you know what? I'm going to give so much, but I don't want anybody to know and not give anything. But what they do do is they, they, they sell they sell or give their gold that is precious to them in 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 charity so the mosques are 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 built now ask yourself that question if you're listening 
What is the most dearest thing to you? The jewelry, the gold, the rings. Is it a very light decision that you will just say, you know what? This possibly could be the 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 future of my children. It might, you know, it, it might give them a head start financially in something, mm. but they choose not to. They choose to give up that sacrifice in accordance with the oath they take yeah. when they take oath of allegiance at the caliph and look when we talk about you know when when people talk about jihad and yes. you always hear this word oh jihad 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 what is the meaning of jihad jihad means to struggle to yes. struggle with your own inner self and this is you know one of probably the, the biggest struggle with yourself we all love things of this world who doesn't love money who doesn't want to have more of it because it's the beautiful things that we can afford with it in this life but if you are 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 asked to sacrifice it for the cause of god for the sake of god almighty not for the sake of any individual not for the sake of any family not for the sake of any person but for the sake of god almighty because that house of god belongs to everyone as i said before we we mentioned this in the beginning of the show this is not just for our members this is not just for muslims anybody who wants to come and worship at that mosque can can do so so we're all chipping in into that we're all sacrificing to do our bit so that is the real struggle when we talk about muslims and their struggle and and their jihad basically in this day and age this is what it is and the holy quran has specifically mentioned in regards to financial sacrifice that never shall you attain to righteousness you will never be able to call yourself righteous until and unless you spend out of that which you love and that is right money absolutely um we started off the this um, part of the show by talking about the purpose of a mosque i just like to read out an excerpt from a uh, speech given by his holiness hazrat mr masood ahmed who is the current leader of the amdam muslim community he gave this when he inaugurated uh, the mosque in norway back in 2011 and he said if you consult the dictionary the word mosque is defined as a house of prayer as i've already explained the arabic word for the mosque is masjid and masjid is derived from the arabic word sajda which literally means he prostrated himself so if we analyze the literal meaning of mosque it leads us only towards a path of prayer and prostration one question that naturally arises is how should such prostration be performed the answer is that when a muslim bows down in prayer his whole body should be encompassed by absolute humility and he should consider himself to be worthless in the spirit of humility he should prostrate before god with total submission and obedience in this subservient state he should pray to god that he may be that he may enable him to follow god's every command perfectly thus this is what a true mosque is a place of total humility to bow before god almighty with that we'd like to thank all of you for listening thank you to all of our guests for contributing thank you to ifat mirza faiza mirza and brother raza for producing today's show thank you to brother danial um uh, for for joining me for, today and of course for covering bro- up the bro- shortfalls bro- of today's production and uh, and uh, <laughs> thank you to oh, by the way that that's a dig at brother raza he produced the last second hour <laughs> Brother, as I stunned, 
Um, while he's stunned, I'm going to say, please forgive. Please forgive any shortcomings on our part. Please remember us in your prayers. Until we meet again, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. As-salamu